Thank you, worship team. I don't know if I was supposed to go into, I don't know that I was supposed to not go into the message. I'm wait, I try to wait and listen for what God wants me to do. I've got peace to preach, so that's what we're going to do. Um, today, thank you guys, thank you worship team. Today we are in number three of a series called Relationship Status. And, um, and basically what this whole idea is, whether you are single, widowed, divorced, married, it is wisdom for whichever box you're checking. Our hope is that we would, we would do whatever we can do to, to really bolster and solidify your relationships. Amen? How I many of you know that relationships are important? Right? So your, your friendships are important, right? <laughs> That's why none of y'all got friends. There, there it is right there. That's why y'all, you're like wondering why ain't nobody calling you on Friday night to go get some steak at the Sizzler because I said friendship's important and y'all didn't amen me at all. So let's try it again. Your friendships are important, right? Amen. There we go. All right. Hey, can we bring the lights up a little bit more out here so I can see who I'm ma- making fun of? And then also, if you, are, if you are single, if you are married, if you are dating, we want to give you wisdom for all of those because they're all important. Your dating relationships, important, right? Yeah. Your marriage relationships, important, right? Your family relationships, important, correct? Yeah. It's all important. Can I just say this? So like, I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. First, week one, we talked about the need in our relationships to walk in selflessness. All right? We didn't talk about becoming a doormat, but what we did talk about was that we would think of ourselves less, right? Week two, we talked about communication. That was a fun one, right? And and it was so important for us to remember how important it is in every relationship that you communicate in a healthy manner. Because you can communicate, but the question is, is the communication healthy? right? And so some of the things that we felt like it was really important that we communicate, number one, communicate your intentions. Number two, communicate your interactions. And we talked about, you know, how important it is to, to, to not, Gavin, where are you going? Sweet tea, get out of here. That kid, geez Louise. Thank you, Noah. So we talked about how important it is to be, to be communicative in our interactions, the people that you talk to, the things that, th- that you looked at, the money you spent, and the time that you spent, and be able to give an account for those things. Because when you don't, you leave your date, dating partner, your spouse, whatever, your, your marriage, your friend, you leave. If you, don't, if you don't communicate those things, you lead them to draw their own conclusions, and that's never healthy, right? Agreed? All right, and so the last one that and this was especially for marriages. We talked about communicating your incompleteness and talking about how important it is that we remember that that your spouse is, is supposed to complete you, and where you are weak is where they are strong, and you need them for that, right? And so we talked about that. So today we're going to talk about something that I it's the only it's the only idea I could come up with. The only thing I the only word I could come up with to describe this quality in your relationships, and that word is grit. That word is grit. Now, look at the definition of the word grit, and it is courage, resolve, strength of character. We need those attributes in our relationships, amen? 
All of them. Friendships, dating, marriage, all of it. Let me just say this. What I'm going to say today is going, it's going to be a little hard. Okay? It's going to be a challenge. I may say some things that, that bother you or frustrate you or you may feel targeted um, or you may feel triggered by, by some of the things I'm going to say today. Don't you love an introduction like that? Like, what's he going to say to us? Good Lord. Um, understand two things. Number one, I don't aim messages at anybody. If I see something in your life as your pastor that I really need to talk to you about, I will talk to you face to face. I won't design a message for you in hopes that you hear it when I buckshot it to everybody else. Fair enough? Okay, so there's that. The second thing is this message, and it's very important you hear this, is not about your past. It is about your future. Okay? Another thing that this is not is a weapon for me to beat you over the head with for the things that you did wrong in the past. Now, if you're still actively living in it, I won't use this, but I will be, no, 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 uh, then, then you have some things in your life you need to reevaluate. but this is not a weapon for me to beat you over the head with. This is, this is something that I'm called to open up to you so that in the future, you don't repeat the same mistakes that you made in the past. Amen? How many of you guys are like scared now what I'm even going to talk about? All right, so let's talk about the importance of grit. There's three places, and we've talked a lot about them, the boxes that you check. And the first one is we need to have grit in our friendships. I got to tell you, I've been known to be a bad friend. Nobody amen. That's good. That's good. Maybe I, I'm, not, I'm not the bad friend in the, in, in the idea that like I'm not there for you. That's not it at all. Um, I'm a bad friend because I like to do things to mess with my friends. Uh, there was a guy that, that, I was in, that, that was in the youth group I was a part of when I was working at the county jail. His name was Joe Majors. Anybody here know a guy named Joe Majors? Okay, yep. You might remember this. I don't know. So back in the day, there was this prank war that was going on, right? And it was Joe, and it was our youth pastor, and it was a couple other guys. And they, Joe was in this ministry thing called Master's Commission. It's a thing that Pastor Aaron went through and his wife Tara went through, to Pastor Kate went through to, to, to be ready to go into ministry. And so um, Joe was a Master's Commission student. And um, there was this ongoing prank war. And I'm just watching. Nobody messed with me. They know better. They, my dad's phrase when I was growing up was, I don't get mad, I get even. And I adopted that right? So nobody involved me in this at all, but I'm watching, and I'm watching all these pranks happening, and finally I go to my friend Pastor Heath, and I'm like, do you want to put an end to this? He's like, talk more. What do you got? What else you got? Say more things like that. I'm like, I've got an idea that will be one that cannot be topped. He's like, I'm listening, and so we, we hatched this plan. I used to work at the Richland County Sheriff's Office in the jail. I had a friend who was in uh, in, on the road. He was a deputy, and he loved to pull pranks, right? And, uh, and he had a neighbor who had the look of a detective, and he loved to pull pranks. And so we all just kind of got together and hatched this plan, and the plan would look like this. We're going to get Joe arrested, completely arrested, and we're going to scare him within an inch of his life. So here was the idea. The idea was that while Pastor Heath was at an event at the school, that they, he and the other guys, everybody was in on it but Joe, would go in and break into Pastor Heath's house 
And Joe had a PlayStation 2. Do you guys remember when PlayStation 2, like people were getting mugged for those things? Yeah, so, pa- so Joe had one, and Pastor Heath was, was borrowing it because he, he wanted to play Madden on it. So, so Joe was going to go to their house while they were at the church, move some things around, right? Take his PS2 back. That's not really theft. It belongs to him. And, and leave and let, let them think that their house got broken into and his PlayStation 2 got stolen. This was not Joe's idea. This idea was fed to Joe by one of our inside accomplices, Mike and Billy, okay? So they go and they do this, and they're driving this van that you just can't miss, right? You remember the old conversion vans, like, you know what I'm saying, with, like, the bed in the back, and usually a lot of times, like, had an obscene painting on the side of the, you know, on the outside of it, you know, that kind of van? They had one of those. And he goes, and he does this thing, and they're driving back, and this is the moment where our police officer and his detective friend were waiting. They pulled them over, and they pull into what just so happened to be the auxiliary part of the sheriff's department on Trimble Road. And they're like, this, this vehicle was just described as a vehicle that was in a breaking and entering, and we're going to arrest all of you. Now, two out of the three knew what it was. Only Joe had no idea. And so they cuff Joe, and they cuff Billy, and they cuff Mike, and they take them in, and we're just sitting, we're just sitting watching. We're having a blast, right? And, uh, and, and so this police officer was off duty, but one of his friends who was on duty came to assist and had no idea it was a prank. So, like, it, it got really hairy for a minute, right? <laughs> so they take them, and they put them in three different rooms, and, and there's hidden cameras in all the different rooms. Christy, do you remember this? Okay. And if anything, I'm undertelling the story. It was, it was the real deal. So... There were hidden cameras in all the different rooms, and one by one, like, the detective goes in with Mike, and they're just chit-chatting, then he goes in with Billy, and they're just chit-chatting, and then they go in with Joe, and that's where the magic happens. (laughs) Joe's wearing a hat that says Mountain Dew on it, and the uh, the deputy, first thing the deputy says is, you like Mountain Dew? He goes, I haven't had a Mountain Dew in about a year. He goes, that's good. They don't have Mountain Dew in prison. (laughs) That was where it started. That wasn't where it ended, right? He's like, well... He's like, first of all, I've got you on a breaking and entering, and second of all, you, and he's just making stuff up. He's like, you have a warrant for your arrest. Joe's like, what? What do you mean? He's like, you didn't pay for a ticket. He goes, that's not due to the 31st. <laughs> so they're messing with him. He leaves. Joe's sweating it. Finally, he takes the cuffs off of Joe, and they bring in Pastor Heath. And, and Joe's like, well, I'm not going to go to prison over this. Says, Pastor Heath, we're in a prank war. He's not going to press charges. Pastor Heath comes in hot. He's like, Joe, what are you doing? My wife and daughter just showed up at home, and everything's moved around, and they think somebody, bro- somebody broke into our house. What on earth were you thinking? And Joe's like, Pastor Heath, it was just a prank. We were just doing a prank. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And the deputy looks at him. He goes, did you give him permission to go into your house? He's like, no. He's like, well, here's what we're going to do. Um, he's, he's going to be charged. And he's, Pastor, he's like, I don't want to charge him. He goes, it doesn't matter. I'm charging him. The eye, Joe's eyes. <laughs> like his one piece of security is now gone. Joe, Pastor Heath cannot save him. He's like, so here's what's going to happen. The other two will be booked for breaking and entering. They can post bond and they'll go. This one here, he's got to stay in jail all week long because he's got to see the, the, the judge because of, um, because of his his warrant for his arrest. He's like, that's not due to the 31st. So Pastor Heath leaves and he tells Joe, get up, empty your pockets, put your hands behind your back, you're going to jail. And as he is turned around, 
got his, got his hands in, in the cuffs, that's when we all sneak in and reveal the gag. And then we left him cuffed for about 15 minutes to calm down. <laughs> but he, he, he didn't throw hands because he was just so relieved he wasn't going to prison. This is the kind of friend I can be, right? That was a great story. It has really not a ton to do with the message, but it's still fun to tell, right? There's video of it, but I can't find it. It's on YouTube somewhere. It's stuck in interweb limbo. I can't find it, but if I do, we're stopping everything on a Sunday morning and we're watching it. Be like, worship? Nope, stop. Praying over people? Hold on. Check this out, because it was that good. But that's just the kind of friend I am. But, 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 but Colossians chapter 3 Verses 12 through 14 gives you an idea of what it's like to be a friend who does it right. And I want you to understand, it takes grit to be a Christ-like friend. Remember what, the, what grit is, courage and resolve and strength of character. To be a good friend, it takes those things. So let's look at what Colossians says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord also forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you hear that scripture? That is a model for what it's supposed to look like to be a Christ-like friend. But can I tell you, it's not easy to do. Did you know that? It's not easy to do those things, to walk in compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and humility and bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another. It's not easy to do that. Especially now, we are more disconnected than ever before. I want to see a show of hands. I, I really want you to participate in this with me, okay? How many of you would raise your hand if they said, I don't have a group of people that I would call a friend group that I get to hang out with on a regular basis? Put your hand in the air. Look at that. How many of you would say, I have tons of acquaintances and I know they love me and I know they lo that I love them? right? Everybody has that. But not many people have that connection. And the church is more disconnected than it's ever been before because we're busier than we've ever been before. Agreed? There's no margin for time. Like there, there are things going on on Sunday now at your kid's school. There are things going on on Wednesday nights. Those things used to be untouchable when I was a youth pastor. Now they're happening. They're happening on those days. Agreed? Your work requires more of you than it ever has before. Agreed? They give you, and, and, and there's something about, about the people that you work with, and they think that your free time just means available time for them to call you and ask you to do something. And not as a friend, but work. Right? Are we agreeing so far? This is a landscape of our world. And, and things like Facebook and InstaChat and Snapbook and Face, all those things, the tweeters, all of them offer an inauthentic connection that doesn't really exist. And here's how I know that. How many of you guys have ever seen somebody in the store and you're like, hey, that is a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook. I need to avoid them at all costs. 
right? It is harder now to have true, authentic friendships than ever before, especially if you have kids and you're focused on your children, which you should be. It's harder now to be a true friend, I think, than it has been in a very, very long time. Agreed? And so when you look at the scripture, we have to understand this is what God calls us to. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility. Those things we would all be if we had time to be around each other, right? Bearing with one another. Do we do that anymore? Do we bear with one another? We're in the middle of the hardest times of their lives. It takes grit to be a true friend, a Christ-like friend. Amen? Are we agreeing? Forgiving one another, loving one another, especially when they're not easy to love. How many of you guys have friends that are not easy to love? Fair enough. You're wrong for that, but you're also completely right. Because I know you're talking about Chad. You ain't talking about me. Yeah. It takes courage, resolve, and character to be a a Christ-like friend, especially when they're not easy to love. I, I just imagine Jesus trying to hang out with his 12 disciples and looking at them and thinking to himself, what have I done? Like Peter, I don't know about you, I said this on our podcast the other day, I was talking to Pastor Dan, of all the disciples that I, that I feel like I identify with the most, it's Peter. Because dude puts his, his foot in his mouth all the time, right? You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Or you guys read that Bible? Okay, <laughs> just making sure. Like you look at P- Jesus with Peter and just... How is he supposed to bear with him? Like, I just, I, 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 I'm surprised there's not like memes of Jesus face palming with Peter in the back. You know what I mean? It takes grit, courage, resolve, character to be a Christ-like friend. And I want to challenge you. There are people in your life who need that from you now more than ever. We need to be quick to give it. Amen? That's our friendship conversation. Let's talk about grit and dating. That's not easy, right? I don't know. Megan and I, we've been been married. It'll be 21 years in April. And um, I'm just so glad the dating dating landscape for me is completely over with. Like, I tricked her. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, I got She lost a bet, had to marry me. But I cannot imagine having to date in this social landscape right now. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. But we have to have grit in our dating. And I'm going to say some things, and this is probably the one where people are going to get triggered. If you get triggered, this will be it. It takes grit to date right. What is grit again? Courage, resolve, character. To date correctly, it takes those things. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah? The, the, the married people are amen because they're like, I'm through, I'm done with this. It ain't about me. This is about you. It's a full commitment to date the right way as a follower 
of Jesus. And that's the big thing. The world dates one way, but we're called to date a completely different way. Young people, are you hearing me? You need to hear this. And parents, you need to make sure your teenager is here for next Sunday when we finish a series up with a message called Sex and Coca-Cola will change your kid's life. You guys are laughing at me like, what, what are you talking about? It, just trust me. But there's some wrong ways to date. One would be, uh, let's see, codependence. Dating in a codependent relationship where you need the other person to survive, that is unhealthy. And if you're in that, let me just tell you something. Whatever you're doing in your dating, if you marry that person, it will grow. Putting a ring on it doesn't change it, doesn't stop it. It causes it to be illuminated. It causes it to be magnified. Agreed? So walking in codependence, serial dating. Obviously, snap, crackle, and pop. Like, no, no, just like, not cereal. Get it? Like cereal, like Captain Crunch. I can never date Captain Crunch. It hurts the roof of your mouth. That, 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 that box will hurt you. It's like, the, you, it's like the best tasting insulation I've ever had in my life. You know, anyway, good Lord, it just tears you apart. Anyway, but if you've ever thought to yourself, like, man, I really need a new line, a new, a new layer of skin on the roof of my mouth, Captain Crunch, do it up. Serial dating would be dating one person after another, getting into a serious relationship with them and then bailing on it, and that happens, and that's really bad if you already have children, because you're marching these people into your life and into your child's life, right? They get attached to them, or even worse, they don't treat your children well, and your children have to emotionally recover from your dating life. Did you hear that? So be selective. Hey, you know that phrase, measure twice and cut once? That idea applies big when it comes to dating. Do your diligence. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, this might be illegal. I, I won't say which sergeant it was, but I had a sergeant at the jail that did a background check on Megan for me when we first started dating. <laughs> True story. Yeah, well, there was no funding. I mean, he went and looked in a drawer and it said she hasn't sliced anybody, so we were good. Really, it should have been the other way around is what it should have, should have been. Agreed? Yeah. I was, I was 21 years old. What do you expect? But do some due diligence on the front end of that and don't do things, don't do things like serial dating. Inspect them twice. Date them once. Did you hear that? Something else like uh, being unequally yoked. That's when two yoked means yoked means it was back in the day when they would when they would have oxen plow a field they would have a yoke that would take that they would take two oxen and tie them together and they would work together and plow the field together. And when you're talking about being unequally yoked, it's someone who believes in Jesus and someone who doesn't trying to marry one another and be dating one another and it doesn't work. There's one instance in my life I've ever heard of where someone who wasn't living for Jesus started dating someone who was who, uh, who was living for Jesus, and they became a follower of Jesus. And that would be Dan and Lori Borsier. She literally mission-dated that man into the kingdom. 
But the fact of the matter is it doesn't work that way. And I'll give you a little, a little uh, where's Alicia at? Come here, you're tiny, come here. So often, stand right here. So often, we think that when we're unequally yoked and we, we are trying to pull them into the life that we're living, that it's, that it's easy for us to do, right? That we could date them into a relationship with God. What do you weigh like? No, you ain't going to tell anybody what you weigh, are you? No, I didn't think so. But I'm going to try and give me your arm. Just do this. I'm going to try and pick you up. And I might be able to do this because I outweigh you by at least a 10th grader or two. Okay? But, okay, so I can't pull her up to my level. I'm, I'm decently strong. Is this, did it feel like I pulled your arm out of place? Okay. Sorry. You, you good? Okay. But come here. Let's trade places. No, not, no that's not. Here. Now, take my hand and pull me down. Hard as you can. Hard as you can. Hard as you can. She is weak. She is weak, but she still got me down. Because, because it's so much easier to pull somebody down to your level than it is to lift them up to yours. Right? Okay, have a seat. Get some ice on that shoulder. I think we may have a posterior subluxation there. I heard that watch in ER. If you think that you're going to pull somebody into the kingdom of God or pull them up to your level by dating them, you are sorely mistaken. They will pull you down to their level. They will pull you down to the lifestyle that they're living. You can't pull somebody else into, into yours. There are exceptions that prove the rule. You ready for the last one? This is where it gets rough. The last one that's the wrong way to date is to date as, as if you were married. Whew, here we go. You're going to be angry with me, but I don't, it is what it is. Dating as if you were married. I'm going to share a truth that's no longer popular even in the church. Living together is not being married. Being someone who has not put a ring on your finger, but living as if you have, is sin. The church does not really enjoy pointing this out. And can we be honest? Can I say something that may tick somebody else off? Listen, if I tick you off, before you leave the church, come talk to me, okay? But I'm going to say something that's really going to tick you off. The church wants to shout down homosexuality and the trans movement and everything else. But they don't want to point out that cohabitating is swimming in the same pool just on different ends. You may send those letters to Wes Jones. <laughs> Dating is not marriage. Marriage is marriage. Right? And there are things that go along with marriage. Fun things. Awesome things that God designed that you should get to do when you're married. And it's, and it's wonderful. But it doesn't belong outside the marriage. We're going to talk about that a whole lot next Sunday. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is, an, is honor among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I wish those weren't the words, but they are. And, and, and the, the fact of the matter is, if I don't tell you the truth, I don't love you, right? So if you're someone who's cohabitating, 
and you're doing and you're and you're living together and you're not married, understand you need to get this figured out. And here's why. Something the Lord showed me that I, I want to share with you. And it's been true many, many times. May not be true for everybody, but it, it, it's true many, many times. So throw that slide up here, that that next slide. When God created marriage, he created a balancing system, okay? There's the growing pains of marriage. How many of you know that there are growing pains of a new marriage, right? Yeah, anybody else? Okay, see? There are growing pains of a new marriage, I promise you. And no matter how long you've been dating, no longer how, no matter how long you've been together, once you get married, there are still growing pains, there are, right? But on the other side of it, God gave you a gift, and it's called the honeymoon phase to balance it out. The honeymoon phase is you love each other, you're excited to be around each other, you want to spend your day together, you can't keep your hands off one another. The honeymoon period. You remember the honeymoon period? Right? You're, you're, I got to be careful. Well, I don't know why I have to be careful. Next week, I'm going to say these things. But like you're constantly, you're constantly in the bedroom. It's awesome. Right? God gave us the honeymoon phase to balance the growing pains of a new marriage. Does that make sense? But when, when you live together before you're married, what you do is you spend part of the honeymoon phase before you experience the growing pains of a new marriage. It takes a minute to catch up. Again, if you are somebody who is married to your spouse and you live together, obviously you survived that. This is not about your past. It's about your future, okay? So I'm not coming down on anybody who has done this. I'm cautioning for the future, okay? Please understand that. Because I've seen it over and over again. And I've seen people who are like, PT, we lived, we lived together 10 years. Now we're married and all I want to do is drown them. What is going on? And I'm like, the balance. It, it's not, it's not going to ruin everything, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. Especially if you are someone right now who is, is living together and you're on the verge of getting married, you need to keep this in mind. Do you understand that? Okay. Well, let's see. How many people did we lose from the church today? The Bible talks about how numbers were added to their, <laughs> to, their, to their group daily. It's going to be the other way around. Numbers were subtracted from fusion daily because of me. But it's all good. It's important to know this. Because there's a right way to date and there's a wrong way to date. There's God's way to date and then there's the world's way to date. And God, every time that he tells us no, it's because he knows it's going to hurt us. Amen? All right. Next thing, last thing, and we need, to have, we need to have grit in our marriages. I'm gonna say this, it takes grit to keep a soft heart. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now all you people that are just, you know, looking, that are friends with people or people who are dating, now's your time to cast judgmental stares at the married people. Enjoy. It takes grit to keep a soft heart. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is doing all the things that Jesus does. He's doing the Jesus things, right? And the Pharisees walk up to him and test him like they always do. And they said, they said this. Here's what it says. 
The Pharisees came to him and testing him, saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered him, he said, Have you not read? He who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And here's what he said. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it wasn't so again if you're here today and you're divorced this is not about beating you over the head okay please understand that it's not about your past it's about your future anytime a marriage ends there's always someone with a hardened heart I can tell you, after years and years and years of marriage counseling, like doing it, not us being in it, just so everybody knows. <laughs> after years and years and years of trying to, to pull people back from the brink of divorce. And can I just say this? Let me just say this. Oftentimes, when we find out that your marriage is in a struggle... Your marriage is already dead. You waited too long to talk to us. And we have to try and revive it and breathe fresh life into it. Like if you're struggling, talk to us now because there's, there, there's help. There's help to give you an amazing marriage. I've got amazing people in this room. If you don't want to talk to me about it because you don't want your pastor to know, I've got, I've got, I've got Dan and Lori Bors here. I've got Mike and Carolyn. I've got all kinds of people here who you can sit with and talk with and they will help you grow in your marriage. But whenever a marriage is ending, somebody's heart got hard every single time. Well, PT, what about an abusive relationship where she had to leave him because he was hurting her? He was the one with the hardened heart because he was hurting her. Well, what if they fell out of love and what if he found somebody else or she found somebody else? It was their hardened heart that led them to start looking somewhere else. You can't convince me otherwise. You may have a great, great argument, but I've seen it for far too long. When a marriage ends, somebody's heart got hard. And then what happens next is just a symptom of the hard heart, right? And so for us, we have to understand something. It takes grit to have a strong marriage. It takes grit to keep a soft heart. Fact of the matter is this, and uh, Ben, you go ahead and play something in the background because I'm about done here, or Titus, somebody. There came a time where you met somebody and you fell in love, right? Their smile made you smile. And all you wanted to do was spend time with them. You wanted to get to know them, and you didn't care what you had to do to get to know them. Remember, I remember when, when I was growing up, and you, and you fell for somebody, you would, you would sit by the wall in the kitchen where the phone was, and you'd have to sit on the floor, and the cord would hang down. Remember those days? And your parents are walking by, and your sister's expecting a phone call from her boyfriend, and she's mad at you because you're tying up the only line in the house. 
Teenagers, you have no clue. You have no idea. You have no idea saying, oh, I can't wait. I just got home from work or I just got home from football practice. I'm going to call my girl. Ah, dang it. Start over. How many of you remember these days? And you would talk all night long. You would talk all night long until you fell asleep on the other side of the phone. You woke up in the morning and you had an opportunity to spend time with one person and you automatically knew who it was going to be. Every time you got money, every time you came home and you got, a, you got a fresh check, not a direct deposit, they didn't do that back then either. Money didn't just magically appear in your account. You had to walk to the bank teller, sign it, and they'd stamp it, and then you had to wait seven to ten business days for that puppy to clear. But you knew how you were going to spend that money. You were going to take them to whatever movie was out, you were going to go roller skating, right, Wes and Melissa? That was you guys roller skating, right? Yeah? You were going to go roller skating. You were going to go bowling. These teenagers are like, what is happening right now? What is he talking about? You maybe shared your first kiss and, and, and you did the leg pop thing that you see in the girl movies, the leg pop, right? All that. Your stomach is a flutter. And you have fallen head over heels. And you started making plans. <laughs> you started making plans. <laughs> you go to your best friend. I can't wait. I want, you to be my be I want you to be my best man. I want you to be my maid of honor. You're going and you're doing all the shopping. Or for the guys, yeah, uh, pick a tux out. Done. Right? And then you land in front of something that looks somewhat like this. And there's a pastor there. And you take this vow that you will love them, honor them, and cherish them with everything that you have for the rest of your life. There is no end to our marriage. There's just the end to our life, and then our marriage is over. Right? Do you remember that? And you remember... You remember you, men, do you remember you, you, were, you, were standing, you were standing at the altar right underneath something like that and the door swung open and here comes the woman of your dreams walking down the aisle. Or the woman's walking down the aisle and there's the man that she always knew was going to be the one. And you make that vow. That's a soft heart. But what happens is you start moving apart again. And you start living your own lives separately from one another. And, and you, you, start, you start doing things with other people instead of them. And when, you, when your paycheck comes, you're thinking how you're going to go hang out with your buddies instead of your wife. Or when you, when you get good news, the first person you want to text because you don't have to do anymore is your best friend. Or God forbid, another person of the opposite gender. 
And before you know it, you're passing each other in the driveway because you have a first shift job and she has a third shift job or second shift job. You're passing each other in the driveway and you become business partners. And before you know it, your heart is beginning to harden towards one another. And now you have fallen out of love. That's not the case. The fact is, if you ever had a soft heart towards them, if you ever loved them before, you can love them again. The question is, are you willing to put in the work? Because God is. Here's what it says in, in the book of, uh, book of Ezekiel. And I know this is a heart, talking about our heart towards God, but I also claim this for marriage as well. It says this, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out and your heart of flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. God is willing and able to soften your heart towards your spouse again. The question is, are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to connect with them the way that you used to connect with them? Because the fact of the matter is, and, and this is 21 years of marriage talking where we've had moments where, where we have had jobs and other things keeping us from getting to spend time together, you get disconnected. It happens. Are you willing to do the things that established the connection in the first place? Where you stay up all night talking to them. We have a lot, of, a lot of nights where we just lay in bed and talk until one in the morning. Am I a zombie the next day? Yes. Yes. Do I, do I put cereal in the coffee maker and then coffee in the cereal bowl? Yeah. Totally worth it. Not to the kids. They hate it when I do that to them. You know what I'm saying? Are you willing to do the things that you did to establish that connection at the beginning and reestablish your soft heart towards them? You didn't fall out of love with them. Your heart got hard. And if you ever had a soft heart towards them, God can take that heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh, but you gotta take it to him and say, God, I need you. My wife and I were struggling. We need you to renew our love for one another. Go and stand to your feet. Friends, it takes grit in every area of life, but specifically in your friendships, in your dating, and in your marriages. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you are somebody, if you're just out trying to be friends with people, then you need to walk in the way that it talks about in, in Colossians and, ta- and, and, and bearing with one another and loving one another and walking in kindness and humility. If you're dating, fight tooth and nail and have grit to date the right way. Because I promise you, how you date leads to how you marry, right? Fight tooth and nail to date the right way. Stay away from codependent relationships. Stay away from serial daters because the roof of your mouth will hurt. Stay away from, stay away from being unequally yoked. And if, you're, and if you are dating, don't live like you're married. Live like you're dating. And if you're married, do whatever you have to do to keep a soft heart towards one another because it happens slowly. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. It's very subtle but the ramifications are huge. It's time to have grit. So here's what I'm going to do. Today, I want to invite Dan and Lori, Mike and Carolyn, uh, any, of, any of my prayer team, Randy, if you, wanna, if you guys want to come, uh, staff people, if you want to come, if you need prayer, if you need prayer, come and talk to us. Again, 
I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to love you through your life. So if you're not happy with what I said today, come and talk to me rather than just going and, going and checking out Crossroads next week, okay? It's a great church, but stay here, all right? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to let you guys go, but if you need prayer, we're here, okay? Father, I just thank you for each and every person in this room, and it, is, it takes grit to be a Christ-like friend. It takes grit to date right, and it takes grit to keep a marriage with a soft heart. And so I pray that we would have character, resolve, and strength to go against the grain of the world and be who you've called us to be in our friendships, in our dating relationships, and in our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Crank up the music. If you need to get to us, come let us pray for you. If you gotta go, we love you guys. Next week, Sex and Coca-Cola. Bring your kids, like the older ones, not the younger ones.